Welcome to 2022 and the Surge podcast, PwC's continuing podcast series on power and utilities tax issues. I'm Sal Montalbano. I'm the leader of the PwC utilities tax practice here in the United States. And with me is an old friend who has done a number of these podcasts already, Scott McCandless. Hi, Scott. Sal, hello. Good to be with you again. And you know, Scott, from our tax policy group and Washington tax practice, uh, as I said, he's been a frequent guest here. And, you know, we do these podcasts to update on relevant issues impacting the power and utilities industry. And it seems like we keep coming back to legislation because it seems like there's a real um, freeze, if you will, on what folks are doing from a tax planning standpoint until we get some sort of resolution as to what's going to happen with tax legislation, especially in the renewable space. Uh, we know a lot of utilities are migrating towards renewables if they haven't already and a, and a number of announced plans to phase out coal, phase out natural gas and move towards more renewables. And the question will be what sort of tax incentives will there be for solar, for wind, for geothermal, et cetera. We know there was a substantial package in the Build Back Better plan, and we know that the Build Back Better plan obviously stalled at the end of 21, heading here into 22. So maybe I'll start with the first question for Scott, which is where do we stand with Build Back Better? And is it dead dead? <laughs> or does it come back from the dead? Uh, or do we move on to something else? So I'll throw that to Scott. Great question, Sal. I feel like we're morticians over here. What exactly do we do with the body? The, uh, if you talk to folks on the Hill right now, you get a bit of a sense of build back better. What, what is that? I have no idea what you're talking about. There's a feigned ignorance, if you will, because it has been, it's become a bit of a hot stove item that nobody wants to touch. They've had their fingers singed by it. So nobody really wants to touch it. And what I mean by that is it has become a bit of an internal problem because it was Democrats trying to get other Democrats to agree with each other. Uh, and the longer that it remained in the spotlight, the worse it was becoming politically for them. So they've kind of tried to get a little distance from it. Uh, but there's a lot that has to be done over the next couple of months that will take their attention, allow Build Back Better to truly cool in the background. And I think there's a chance that they're going to try to resuscitate it at some point. It's hard to see the Democrats through budget reconciliation, essentially having written themselves a trillion and a half uh, or more, not exactly a blank check. I don't think it's fair to call it that, but they've essentially written themselves a pretty big uh, spending chunk here. And it's hard to imagine not actually cashing that in at some point, especially heading into an election year. Now, I don't think they do the full trillion and a half or 1.7 trillion. Maybe they do uh, just a third of that. I've heard 500, 550 billion being uh, bandied about. And it's just a question of what exactly they do, which pieces of it they do, and whether the members who want other pieces can be mollified and accept that, yeah, this is this is the only bite of this particular apple we're going to get. But it still seems hard to believe they're not going to take that bite. So I, I don't think it's dead, dead. I just think it'll be May or even June before we start to hear about any percolation in that space again. Appreciate it, Scott. And, and that makes sense. Uh, you know, obviously some world events have taken center stage nowadays, and a lot is different here in February of 2022 than it was maybe in November or December of 2021 from a priority standpoint. So I can understand that uh, we may be in a different, little bit of a different world here, but I also understand there's probably an appetite to get something passed, especially as it relates to renewables. 
With respect to that, if there is a smaller package or different package, I'm wondering what that may look like. Does it look more like a pure extension of some of the existing renewable energy credits that are out there? Or would it look more like the broader package that we saw with uh, the original proposal of BBB? Yeah, that's that's the huge unknown. And I really want to emphasize the, the enormity of this unknown. Because if they do a Build Back Better package, and let's say they do slim it down to a roughly $500 billion package, there are a number of ways they could, do, could go. Maybe they decide that they want to focus on, say, prescription drug pricing, which has been a priority that they've mentioned and has been part of talks in the past. Uh, and that's all they do. Maybe that's the, the targeted focus aspect of a future Build Back Better. Or they could do the climate piece of this, which would include all the renewables. It's a rather robust package. It's, it again checks a pretty important box for some of their policy priorities, um, and maybe that's it. So from the perspective of those who are listening to this specific podcast, the Surge podcast, that's a gigantic difference in potential outcomes, either you know, no climate change or a massive package that has all this stuff in it. So that is still very much alive as a possibility that they do the climate package in Build Back Better. We just have no idea, and I don't think members of Congress have any idea where that will land, and we won't know for a few months, I don't think. Barring that, though, and here's where things get a little more interesting, but perhaps also not as juicy. If they don't choose to do the climate package and Build Back Better, or if Build Back Better is, in fact, truly dead, and we eventually find out that they can't go forward, then they're still going to focus on renewables at some point. But then it becomes more of an extenders game, like we've seen in the past, and probably a year-end exercise, and it's nowhere near as robust as what we saw and build back better. It probably won't include some of the elements. It won't include the robustness. It won't include the length of extensions. Uh, it'll just be like the old extenders game, which at least gets you back in the game, but again, forces us to relitigate these issues all over again, probably as early as next year. Very interesting. So that kind of leads me into my next question, which is some of the unique provisions of Build Back Better, in particular, direct pay, some of the Buy American provisions, uh, some of the apprenticeship and labor provisions that are in there. Presumably, if BBB survives to some degree, there's a good chance that all that will survive. But if we move to a pure extenders, as you say, then it's likely to look like uh, what we have now, as opposed to some of these new provisions, I presume. Exactly right. You're exactly right, Sal. If Build Back Better does go forward, even in a smaller way with that climate package, then yes, you'll see the direct pay, you'll see the apprenticeship, you'll see the, the longer term extensions and some robust plus ups for those credits. If it's the, the latter option that we just discussed and it's in more of an extenders, then it's just what we've seen before. We'll get retroactive renewal of some proposals or some uh, provisions back to the beginning of January of this year, uh, and maybe even a, a go forward for one year of, of next year, but there's no long-term plus up. There's almost certainly no direct pay because remember the, the procedural environment, if they do the climate change provisions through Build Back Better, that's reconciliation that allows them to pass things with a near majority, pure democratic vote. If they don't and they go extenders, then they need Republicans to pass this in the Senate and need to get to 60 votes. And Republicans will go along with some of the extenders, partly because they want them, partly because they'll use it as leverage to negotiate some other provisions. And by the way, maybe that's how we get a fix to the uh, interest deduction limitation change in 163J, losing the dollar. Maybe that's how that goes along. Just want to put that speculation out there. Um, so you can get to Republicans to say yes to extensions. 
but you probably can't get them to say yes to direct pay, to the apprenticeship, to the, all, all the other things. So mm. expect those pieces to drop out and we'll be in a much more traditional extenders uh, posture. Yeah, so that, you know, I, I alluded to this at the beginning of the podcast, but there's a, a little bit of a paralysis until we know what's happening. But I think direct pay really is one of those pivot points with regard to that paralysis, given folks with various tax credit carryover situations and ability to monetize credits on a going forward basis. Direct pay alleviates some of the pressure with regard to that. Without direct pay, then you look at things like tax equity financing or ways for developers and utilities to offload some of those credits, uh, given that their appetite may not be sufficient without direct pay out there. So that's a real big pivot point, and I can understand how uh, we got to wait, I guess, <laughs> and find out what happens with regard to all that. Yeah. Yeah. I know you're always putting me on the spot to try to make predictions as best I can. And I would say that at a bare minimum, I would expect the extenders. So I, I think that there will be renewals, extensions, again, not as robust and certainly briefer than Build Back Better would give us, but at least we'll have you know, some life in those systems. Uh, I think that is a, a fairly likely outcome. Uh, it's just the huge question of whether we're going to get a more Build Back Better style package. And the Democrats still may elect to do that. They may think, uh, hey, this will help us with our, our base voters who might be a little bit uh, depressed heading into the elections. Or they might say, look, we're going to lose in November anyway, so we might as well get something now while we still can that will be hard for a future Congress to undo. Even if the Republicans take the House, even if they take the House and the Senate, you still have a Democrat in the White House who would uh, veto any changes that Republicans might try to, to make to some of these things. So maybe they try to put it into permanent law, but I'm getting a little more politically speculative there. I think just the, the base minimum of the prediction is that at least we'll have an extenders package that seems pretty likely. All right, so I'm going to throw a wild card at you to make sure that the folks are still listening on the podcast and you don't know what I'm going to ask you right now. So that makes it uh, even better. But I know we've talked in the past that you are a big fan of game shows. Uh, and we've had this discussion about game shows in the past since I grew up with a lot of them before uh, cable TV really expanded and you can watch 500 different things. So I'm going to ask you, who's your favorite game show host um, in history and what's your favorite? That's easy. Wink Martindale. I always loved it. And it's funny because I wasn't necessarily a huge fan of Tic-Tac-Toe, but I just loved his delivery and the cheesiness that, that he brought to it. Even as a kid, I appreciated that it was cheesy. And uh, I don't know if he's a hero or anything, but certainly I, I admired his, his, uh, uh, the, the attitude that he brought. So yeah, Wink Martindale. And great jackets too, right? Those old plaids. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm old enough to remember what you're talking about with the screens on Tic Tac Doe and Wink Martindale. So that one hits my demographic, I guess. And and I'll throw a plug out for the underrated Jim Perry and the original Card Sharks. I thought he was an excellent host as well. So yeah, I love that stuff. So with that, I'll wrap with one legitimate tax question or legislative question, I guess. So we've talked about how the bills could be changed and modified and cut back, uh, how pay-fors may be cut back or increased, depending on which way they go with it. So I'll ask you, what's, what are we more likely to see with some sort of legislative package? Is it the tax rate increase, the corporate rate increase? Or is it the corporate minimum tax um, in a going forward package? Or maybe neither at some point in time. 
Sure, great question. At least as it stands now, the minimum tax is more likely than a corporate rate increase, but that's very much due to the environment in which Democrats find themselves. Exactly 50 votes. They need every single one of them to say yes. And so far, just one, Senator Kirsten Sinema from Arizona, has said no to a corporate rate increase. That's what forced them uh, to, to redo the package in the first place and go with the minimum tax. And so long as that environment still exists, as long as that posture is still what it is, then the minimum tax is more likely. Now, of course, that could change you know, as early as November, depending on how the elections come out. But certainly if the Republicans uh, do well, then that will also be a moot point because both will probably be off the board, both the minimum tax and the corporate rate increase, which is kind of fascinating. If you had told me a year ago, or if I had tried to speculate a year ago, I would thought for sure that 21% was in jeopardy. Now it looks like we'll have 21% at least for a couple more years, uh, at least until post 2024, unless the Democrats have some kind of huge surge this November that it is currently not expected. They may still hold on, but I, I think it's at least questionable. But the 21% rate might stick around. And I think that one is safer. And I think that's a bit of a surprise. But I think the minimum tax would be the more likely of the two uh, if something were to move forward. All right, so we'll let that be the last thought. Uh, the the 21% rate may stand for a while, and we'll wrap up this podcast. Appreciate, appreciate it, Scott, you joining me once again to talk about the ever-present legislative specter and what's going to happen, and appreciate everybody listening to the Surge podcast. Till next time, thanks.